Our Old Testament reading today comes from Genesis 18, 20 through 32. Then the Lord said, how great is the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah and how very grave their sin. I must go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom. While Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham came near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not forgive it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will forgive the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered, let me take it upon myself to speak um, to the Lord. I am who but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to them, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He, he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, let me take it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, do not let the Lord be angry if I speak just one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. This is the Lord, word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, Get up and give him anything because he is a friend. At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask it and you, and will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened and there is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, you will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Uh, let's pray together. 
Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think about these words from the gospel that you would teach us how we might become persons of prayer who enter a kind of vulnerable and bold conversation with you because of your great love for us in Christ. So meet us in these words, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. So this summer we're looking at uh, the parables of Jesus, and these are the stories that Jesus uses uh, very often alongside of other points of teaching. So in, you know, a parable is very different from uh, a lecture. Uh, it's, a, it's a story that we're drawn into imaginatively, and almost certainly when you hear a story of any kind, a good one or a bad one, you enter the story in that kind of space, right? You sort of begin to sort of play with the elements of the story the plot line. You imagine yourself interacting with the characters, perhaps. And so here, here we are with Jesus giving us these stories that really enlarge our imagination for his kingdom, uh, for, his, for, for what it means to understand him as a gracious God, or even what it means to understand his judgment. So we're drawn into these stories uh, that Jesus uses um, in the gospels uh, accounts to teach us about God's grace and kingdom. Now tonight, or this morning rather, we are looking at the parable that Jesus gives us here to teach us about prayer. Um, it's, it's a parable, right, that calls us into an experience so that we'll, it'll enlarge our prayer, perhaps, and lead us into a better habit of prayer, which I think if we sort of hit pause for a moment, we can all acknowledge our habit of prayer probably needs some improvement, right? Um, I, it's, I, I rarely meet anyone that would say, you know, I'm, a, I'm really great at prayer. Um, now, maybe you're that odd person out there this morning. Could we talk a little bit later? It would be really interesting to hear your story. Uh, but Jesus uses this, this sort of story to draw us in to prayer. Now, um, he's answering the question of the disciples, and the question is just simply this. Jesus, would you, Lord, would you, would you teach us to pray? And it occurs in one of those moments when Jesus himself has uh, withdrawn to pray, and they, they basically say, you know, look, John the Baptist, uh, you know, he, he taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray? Now, here's the curious thing about this part of Luke's gospel. We are about three years into Jesus' ministry here, right? So just think, sit with that for a moment. And they're just now beginning to say, Lord, teach us to pray. They have lived close up with Jesus. They've watched the miracles of Jesus. They've watched Jesus move from teaching event to teaching event. But amidst all of these kinds of things they've watched Jesus doing, all the great things they've observed Jesus do, one of the constant and steady rhythms of his life is what? He withdraws to pray. He withdraws to pray. He moves to a place of solitude and he connects with his father and he praise. And so Luke situates this question of the disciples in one of those moments when Jesus has himself withdrawn to pray. Prayer is, uh, is hard. It's hard work. It's hard discipline. It's hard to stick at it. And I want to just sort of, sort of think about that for just a moment before we move into the parable proper, uh, because I think we need to give ourselves a little bit of grace when it comes to the challenges of prayer. Um, we have all grown up inside of a world that is largely uninterested in God. Um, you have lived life among, uh, many of you have lived life among the elite of our country, in fact. You've studied at elite institutions. You've, uh, you have prepared yourselves, in other words, to do what? To become the expert that other people will rely upon. 
And so the habits of our life that we live through, the liturgy of our life, if you will, that we all walk through day in and day out is a habit of either leaning on our own resources, our imagination, our ability to strategize, our ability to solve a problem. If it is only to get on your computer and Google something, you know how to solve problems. And the habits and the liturgy of our world just lead us steadily into all of the things that we do for ourselves through our connections, through our resources, through our networks. Hey, I know someone. So if you're hitting a personal snag, what do you do? You reach for, you reach for a therapist, you reach for a counselor to help you interpret your story. I have nothing against all of that, by the way. I've seen them. If you're in a business situation, what do you do? And you feel like your company's stuck, you feel like you're stuck, you lean into management consulting. We are constantly looking for experts to help us connect the dots of our lives and move us through circumstances of life. But one of the things that you see Jesus do over and over again is he adds another liturgical practice to his life. And it is the practice of withdrawing. It's the practice of solitude with God, his Father. And that is at the very center of his humanity. So whatever else we want to learn from Jesus about what it means to be truly human, one of the things at the very core of what it means to be human, the way Jesus expressed his humanity, is his humanity was expressed through constant communion with God his Father. Human beings reconnected to God. Prayer is hard work. And we live in this world that sort of pulls us to live in a kind of practical atheism. I don't mean that we don't believe in God, but that we just get so busy with stuff in life that we don't pause to pray the way Jesus did. Communication with God at the very, very center of Jesus' life. And prayer, I think, if we want to think about a barometer inside of our own lives or a measure inside of our own lives, you know, not to put a guilt trip on any of us, but to sort of just acknowledge that prayer is that space in which we are talking to God. And so if I sort of evaluate my day in terms of prayer, it might tell me how much I'm leaning in this direction of a kind of practical or functional atheism. Life just sort of ignoring God's presence, unaware of God's presence, not treating his presence as someone who is relevant to the stuff of my ordinary life. Or maybe my prayers will actually show me that I just don't think rightly about God's presence at all. That I imagine that I have to, through my words or my, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the large amounts of time, that I'm persuading God, that God is sort of remote and disinterested, right? And so I have to somehow get him on board through my words. Jesus gives us this answer that leads us to think about prayer in some very different ways. And I wonder if in this particular moment of the disciples' life, if they haven't hit a place in their lives where it's just beginning to dawn and they recognize they need the kind of rhythm of life that Jesus himself seems to operate inside of. His answer comes in two parts. So first is the Lord's Prayer, which we didn't read, but we will say later in the service, right? Uh, it's the Lord's Prayer, um, and, right? The Lord's Prayer and then this parable. This is the two-part answer to how do I pray. Now, briefly, the Lord's Prayer. This is a, a great prayer for busy people. By the way, it takes less than 30 seconds to pray it. 
a great prayer for busy people because there are just so few words inside of this prayer, but it covers through its limited words, through its few words, the scarcity of words, it covers the bandwidth of life. Our life with God, our life with bread, our life with forgiveness and relationships, our spiritual trials. It takes less than 30 seconds to pray this prayer, even if you slow it down to a snail's pace. Who couldn't fit this simple prayer into their everyday ordinary life? That's the prayer Jesus gives us. And he situates our communication with God with this first word out of his mouth when you pray saying, Father, Father, what's Jesus doing except calling us to understand the communication we have with God inside of the most intimate spaces of human relationship, a family? Now, here's what he's not doing. He's not saying, hey, when you pray, I want you to think about, you know, your mom, your dad, your primary caregiver. As good or bad as they may have been, that is not his point of reference. His point of reference is rather himself and what they have observed in Jesus over and over again as he relates to his heavenly father. So if you've grown up in a home where your parents modeled something really beautiful about care and compassion and empathy and presence, and also the, the beauty of letting you go, right? Where you begin to grow up as a human being, where you've experienced this, this sort of wonderful wholeness of a family in which forgiveness happens and all of those robust things. Or if you've grown up in a family in which that seems startlingly and sadly absent. The point is that in this moment, when we think about how we relate to God, we think principally about how Jesus related to his Father. And what Jesus is inviting us into in this space is to sit with him and to recognize that on the very basis of our fellowship with who Jesus is, that we are relating to God as a son relates to his father. The relationship's a relationship of grace. It's a relationship of gift. And God invites you to approach him that way. From there, Jesus leads his disciples to think very specifically about how they might think about this God, right? Not just as father, but what, what do I do with this God as my father? Well, Jesus says, hallow his name. What does that mean? Something like to hallow something is to set it apart as sacred or important or holy. And what Jesus is asking us to do, I think, with the name of God, with the presence of God, our father, is that we would let his presence become the way we order our lives. That we would not just use the words, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, but rather we would actually become persons who begin to enact that in the context of everyday life. That we would approach God as the one relationship that must order every other love and every other relationship inside of our lives. And then we begin to talk with God about very practical things, really ordinary, startlingly ordinary things like bread, the sustenance of life. And from there, Jesus teaches us to ask God not just for daily bread for ourselves, or for, and I think we could, we could scale this out, by the way, to our community, to our city, to our world, so we recognize that we live in this world in which there is not an abundance of bread for all people everywhere. So the church, the community of his people become a people who are compassionate and empathetic 
toward this need in the world, and we ask God for it. We connect the dots to this practical need of sustenance. And then we move from there to think about this space of relationships. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. In other words, we talked about this last year, last week, right, with the parable uh, of the unforgiving servant in which we recognize that forgiveness and the coherence of our forgiveness that we experience in our life with God is meant to be extended into the world. And in this prayer, Jesus is teaching us to think about that over and over again. Deliver us from our trials, from the time of temptation. What is Jesus pushing us to think about our everyday, ordinary lives here? Maybe just simply this, that your life exists inside of a spiritual tug of war. You are hallowing something. You are setting apart something as special in your life. You are setting apart an aim. You're ordering your life by some love, but is it God? So Jesus here acknowledges that our lives our lives, of, our, our lives of struggle. And he calls us in this very simple prayer that you can pray every day in the space of 30 seconds to order your imagination for the way you will go about ordinary life in the world this day or that day. Now, the second thing is this parable. That's what we really want to focus on this morning is this story of the need to show hospitality, right? This is a story of a friend who can't feed a guest that's in his house because he doesn't have bread. It's a very practical need, right? He is meant in the context of the Mediterranean world and society to show hospitality to strangers, to the guest in his home, and he doesn't have bread. Now, in our day, we might think, like, dude, why didn't you go by Trader Joe's earlier in the day? You know, we, we, we have our own imagination of how we should be prepared for things. This guy's not prepared. And so he begins to wake up his friend in the middle of the night right, uh, and asks him to share his bread with him so that he can show hospitality to his guest, to the stranger in his house. Now, all right, so, hit, so sort of think about your sleep for a minute. This is the beauty of this parable, I think, because most of us like sleep, and most of us hate being disturbed in the middle of our sleep. Now, some of you have newborns, and you can't help that disturbance, right? We hate being disturbed. Immediately as I was, as I was reading this earlier, I thought of a time. It was sometime in the middle of the year. Stacy and I are sound asleep. It's the middle of the night. I think it's around 2 a.m., and our doorbell rings. And I, I'm like, I live in West Philadelphia. This is not a good sign that my doorbell is ringing at 2 a.m., and, and if you've ever been to our home, you know that there are, there's glass, there's windows everywhere, right? And so, so I'm, I'm like, you know, you're just sort of like, what is that? It's the doorbell. It's so loud. And you, so you're, and you're, and you're in my mind, I'm becoming grumpy tuck. And I'm moving from grumpy tuck to sort of fearful tuck because I'm thinking, who would be at my door at 2 a.m.? So I sheepishly sneak down. I look through all the windows upstairs like, what is going on? I'm thinking, I wish I had one of those cameras that I could see and spy. You know, these little iterations that are going through your mind. And mostly I'm thinking, I would like to go back to sleep. Am I going to be able to go back to sleep, right? You've had your own moments like that. Have you ever gotten a phone call in the middle of the night? What goes through your mind when you're awakened in the middle of the night? Do you become grumpy? Do you become irritated? Do you become fearful? 
to become anxious about the brokenness of our world and how it might be impinging upon your life. We all know those kinds of experiences. We don't live in the Mediterranean culture and maybe we don't feel the weight of hospitality in the same way that this individual would have felt the weight of hospitality, the shame that would come alongside of not being able to feed his friend, or the shame of the friend who refused to get up because the rumor would spread throughout the neighborhood, hey, and Joe over there wouldn't wake up and bring bread out. Jesus tells the disciples this story, and he helps them to know something about God and something about ourselves. I think on the one hand, you know, Jesus is not, by the way, right, telling us if you just become the pest toward God, he will get off, you know, he, he will, uh, he'll give you what you need so that he can get you off his back. That's not the picture here. The picture is something far greater. And it's just this. Jesus wants us to pray about practical things, about ordinary stuff. You know, this, this is not you know, some, some giant prayer request. This is, I've got a guest in my home and I need to feed him and I don't have any food. Could you help out? That's what this is. So what are the things in your life uh, that you've come through this week, perhaps, that just weigh on you? Because you experience that life is broken. It's not the way it ought to be. It's hard. It's scary. It's sad. It's lonely. You're fearful you're anxious, what are those things in your life that Jesus might want you to, in a space of vulnerable and bold conversation, just take it into your life with God? To talk to him. Talk to him about your conflicted emotions. Talk to him about your conflicted desire for him. Talk to him about, I I know the prayer teaches me to hallow your name, but I don't do it very well, and I don't really want to do it because I really want this. Can you talk to God honestly about all the stuff inside of your life? Can you tell God the things that you get angry with God about? I think Jesus in this parable is teaching us to talk about ordinary things, even bread. But the bigger point, I think, is to show us how much greater God is than us. Notice how Jesus wraps up the story. He circles back to this parent and child analogy, right? Jesus comes back to this notion that God is our father. And he says, if you being evil and broken know how to parent your children, how much greater is God than you? If your child asks you for a fish, do you give a snake? And you can see the crowd or you can think about the crowd in a moment like that, just going through the iterations of their head. Well, of course not. Of course I don't do that. So Jesus says, God delights, delights to give you the Spirit. God delights to give you the Spirit. God isn't the irritated friend who's eager to get back to sleep. He isn't the reluctant father who doesn't know what to do with you. He is the delighted father who loves you and delights to give you the Spirit of God, the Spirit of his kingdom. His intention is to draw you into the tightest possible circle of family so that by his spirit, as the Apostle Paul says, we begin to cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, we recognize the intimacy of relationship that we have with God in the middle of our broken lives. We discern that by God's spirit. 
and we cry out in the middle of our broken lives when we lack bread, when we lack housing, when we lack friendships, when we lack the kind of forgiveness and relationship that allows a relationship to flourish and thrive. When we live in the space of trials and you look at your life and you think in this spiritual tug of war, most of the time I feel like I'm on the wrong side. He delights to give you his spirit. God meets us by his spirit in all of these real places of life. He's your friend and he'll act out of friendship toward you If you and I begin to get that and we begin to wake up to that reality of that relationship, my question is this, why would I ever stop praying? When our Father, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, delights in you. It'll totally change the way that you pray from a space of a kind of entitled prayer where we walk around imagining that God owes us from a space of anxious prayer where we're always afraid that God is not going to hear us or receive our prayer, that we somehow have to persuade God to get onto our side. Jesus is reminding us that God will answer us, and he invites us into the space of vulnerable boldness with God, and a vulnerable boldness that includes trust because of the relationship. So Jesus says, look, seek, ask, knock. There's a problem, isn't there? Because sometimes I seek and I ask and I knock and I don't get the things I seek and I ask and I knock for, right? This is where a helpful phrase that I've used with our kids, the wisdom differential comes into play, right? And this is the space where as a child to their parent, I have to somehow trust that my parent is connected to me for goodness. God is connected to us in Jesus Christ for our good. So when I look at my life and I've got all kinds of specific things that I want and it's not playing out the way I want, what am I called to understand? I'm called to entrust my life to God who has drawn my life so into the story of Jesus that as I look down the long story of history, I know that I belong body and soul to him. And so nothing happens outside of his love and his care and his compassion inside of my life and my life is connected to his future. I trust that the candy that I want in this moment may not be the thing that I need. God has a bigger picture. Many years ago now, some of you will remember the story because it just shows up every once in a while, and this is a really good place to pull it out, but it's a story of my life with my son, Tucker. So when Tucker was in middle school, which is a disastrous moment of history, right, for most of us, as we look back on our middle school years, and if you're in middle school, I apologize, you will pass through this. But... Here we are in this middle school moment, and I'm up, it's a Saturday afternoon, it's probably around five o'clock, and I'm, you know, working on the sermon because so often that's what I do on Saturday afternoons. I know it's a dreadful life, this pastor thing, but there I am in my office upstairs at the house working on this, and Tucker comes up into, the, up into my office, comes into the room, and I can tell he's sort, of, he's sort of shaken, he's rattled a little bit, and he just, it's just one of those moments, he says, hey, Dad, can we talk? And there's a little bit of a shake in his voice, a quiver in his voice. Dad, can we talk? And I'm like busy. I'm like, I got to write a sermon because Sunday's coming, right? And so there I am. And I said, sure. So, you know, what is it? And I'm sort of typing away at my computer, doing my thing. And he's like, no, no, Dad. I I need to talk. Can we go in your room? 
what is he doing in that moment? He's discerning that I'm what? The distracted, busy dad, the reluctant dad perhaps who wants to be available but struggles to be available. And in that moment, he just says, no, I've got to get you into a different room. I've got to get you into a different space. And I go into the room and he begins to tell me the story of how he's just done something that is exactly contrary to thing we talked about the day before that he should not do. And it was one of those moments where dad the prophet comes out. And I think this is a moment to seize because I can drive the point home. Have you ever felt that? Has, has anyone ever sought to drive the point home with you in those moments? It's like now is my golden opportunity to help him to see just how important it is to listen to my wisdom. And he's sitting in front of me, quivering, confessing, acknowledging, weeping, and I'm like, Tucker, I don't know what else I can do. I don't know how to say this more plainly. And those were like my exact words. And I'm just sort of in that moment of sort of full steam ahead, moving into that narrative. And Tucker says, just, just hug me. And I'm, I, I am torn to shreds because that's not what I'm doing, is it? I want him to hear my words. I want him to know the law. I want him to know how right I was and how wise I am and how if he just would listen to what I said, he'd get on with life in a better way. But in that moment, he knows that what he needs is what? Assurance of presence, assurance that I'm there, assurance that there's love, assurance that there's a connection in the relationship. And in that moment, I just melt. And I did hug him, and we prayed, and he goes and does something else. I go back, and I start to write the sermon, and all of a sudden, that's when God begins to really connect with me. And I'm like, Wow. If you being evil know how to do good to your son, if you who are broken know how to soften, if you, when your son asks for a fish, don't give him the scorpion, and I'm just aware of how I'm so likely to attribute to God the worst parts of myself the worst parts of human experience. But what Jesus is calling us to think about with regard to God is he's different from us. He loves, he connects, he's present, he desires, he delights. That's who God is. That's how we come to him in a space of prayer. If you being evil know how to give your children gift how much more will your heavenly Father give you his spirit when you ask that his kingdom come? It was a remarkable experience for me of God as my Father. So as I was working on this text this week and sort of reading a little further back beyond that initial question of the disciples when they ask him, would you teach us to pray, right? They've watching Jesus pray. I was struck by, as Luke tells this particular story, the story just before this is a very famous story of Mary and Martha. It's an interesting space. It's that place where 
Jesus is in the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, and Martha's busy preparing dinner, doing house chores, and things like that, which of course would be the kind of work that women would be involved with in that particular moment. Um, and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and then Martha complains about Jesus, right, about Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, and he, he just says, you know, tell her to get up and help. And Jesus says she's chosen the better place. It's not because the work doesn't need to get done or that the work shouldn't get done or that the work won't get done. It's because Mary has chosen to be in communion with who Jesus is, to listen to him, to talk to him, to cherish that relationship with him. And Jesus says she's making the better choice. And then we're in this moment when Jesus is withdrawing to his own space of better choice that space of communion with the Father. And it's then that the disciples say, would you teach us to pray? That's what he wants for us. That as you think about your busy life and you think about your greatness and your joys and your resources and your, your strengths and your gifts that you have to offer the world, which are absolutely unique to many of you as individuals, you are wonderful people who have great things to offer our world, but God wants you to offer it on the basis of and through your relationship to him. So that when you go into the office tomorrow, you go in as a son or a daughter of God. So that you go into the classroom, you go in as a son or a daughter of God. So that when you hang out with your friend at a pub or you hang out with your friend over coffee or you hang out with your friend in the neighborhood or you go to Youngstown, Ohio and you've been enjoying the mission trip or you do whatever you're doing in life, whatever it is in all of those profoundly ordinary spaces of human life, that you would engage yourself there in those places as a son or a daughter of God. And prayer is the marker of that, that we talk to God, our Father, that we boldly become vulnerable with him in the space of the relationship that he's given us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these words of Jesus, this story, that we would know how to apply it to our own lives, that we wouldn't fear coming to you, that we wouldn't feel like we manipulate you with our words, but rather we would know the gift of relationship with you. And in that space of relationship, we would let you hear us. So would you please give us your spirit, that by your spirit we would know you to be our Father, and by your spirit we would boldly and vulnerably reveal ourselves to you, our burdens to you, and entrust them to you. Would you give us the gift of your kingdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.